Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hi, listeners. This is My Martinez. Thank you for listening to this special episode of Career Pigeon. By now, you've likely heard about ChatGPT, an artificial intelligence program developed by the company OpenAI and made publicly available in November of 2022. Through machine learning, ChatGPT can accomplish longer written prompts at a speed we haven't seen before. Whether you need a professional contract written up, a wedding toast, or a movie review written from scratch, the chatbot provides incredibly accurate and thorough responses based on all of the information available on the internet at that time. But this sudden leap in artificial intelligence has encountered criticism from some educators, artists, journalists, and even some in the tech world itself. Will artificial intelligence, better known as AI, and programs like ChatGPT take the place of certain members of the workforce? Does it open the door for rampant plagiarism and deep fake technology? Or will it evolve to become self-aware? Last month, WBBM's Rob Hart hosted a live forum in our studios with three experts in the field of AI to discuss these questions and more. Our podcast team edited the conversation to focus on the most crucial talking points, but the full live stream can be viewed on our YouTube channel at WBBM AM. We'll be back June 1st with a brand new episode of Courier Pigeon. But for now, please enjoy this discussion and follow us on social media at WBBM Podcasts. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart, midday anchor and host of the WBBM Noon Business Hour. And thank you for joining us for our panel discussion, AI Friend or Foe. And I must say at the very beginning of our talk today that in the interest of full disclosure, I am a human being. And we're joined by our human panelists as we talk about the future of artificial intelligence. I want to say hello to Matt Wren, who is a tech expert and founder of VRAR in Chicago. Rebecca Willett, University of Chicago Professor of Statistics and Computer Science, and R.J. Hadaby, who is the Head of Analytical Research at Placer AI in Chicago. You have no doubt heard an awful lot about artificial intelligence over the past couple of months. It seemingly came out of nowhere. However, uh, as you will learn over the next hour, it is a discipline that has been in the works for decades. But what separates artificial intelligence, AI as we know it today, from machine learning or computers and applications that were created by human programmers with a specific set of instructions? Yeah, so I think of uh, machine learning as basically teaching a computer to learn from examples. 
So if you think about teaching a kid to know the difference between cats and dogs, you show them lots of examples in books and on the street, and you point out different features that distinguish them. And eventually the kid makes a mental model so that when they see a new animal, they can tell what it is. And what we're doing with machine learning is exactly the same. We're giving it lots of examples and helping it to learn a model so that when it gets a new image, it can distinguish whether it's a cat or a dog. I think one of the big changes that we've seen in recent years that differentiates more classical machine learning from the really powerful tools we're seeing today is the huge amount of data that we're feeding into these things and the enormous computational power that's behind these algorithms. Um, a lot of the fundamental methods in mathematics are, like you said, things that have been around for decades. You know, as humans, we don't realize how much data we take in all day, every day. Everything we see, everything we hear, everything we smell, all of our thoughts, all of our memories. You know, to a computer, ingesting that stuff, that's data. So when you're talking about a, a computer program that, you know, like a chat GPT, that you're now teaching to bring in all of this information, and be able to process it and then be able to do certain things with it. So like ChatGPT, I'm going to ask you to write me a paper on Roosevelt. Okay, fine. It's going to go and look at all the data it's ever received and also look at writing styles and say, okay, here's a paper on Roosevelt. So yeah, to a certain degree, it's a way of, I wouldn't say necessarily storing, but processing all of that data and making it useful. Um, but to that point, it's still a computer program. It's still going to basically do what we train it to do. Yeah, I'd say just on top of that, I mean, uh, the machine learning part is the teaching. That's that's the part. Then we get to AI, which is the processing the data and starting to actually apply it to different things. And we're at a point now where we're starting to see real changes in the way people interact with hardware that's making it more interesting. Now, the big data was, I think, the most practical stuff, but now we're starting to see at-home you know, assistance and things like that where you can actually start to apply it in different ways than maybe just a computer screen. Uh, that's real starting to bring it in real life. Now, some of it's you know still science fiction. Still, some of this is going to take a long time to really process, but the amount of data that can be processed and then applied in different ways that consumers are interacting with household devices, pretty exciting stuff, and it's going to really transform our lives, I think. Let's begin by talking about some of the ways in which AI is being used today. You work at a place called Placer AI, yeah. and you use artificial intelligence to track trends in the restaurant space and in retail. So how does that business work? Where does the AI component of Placer AI come in? So we are a location-based analytics company powered by mobile data. Effectively, we partner with several hundred apps that allows us to get data on uh, a device, but we don't collect any personal and identifiable information from that device. We just know where the location, where that device is gone, uh, where, where it goes to, um, and then we assign a unique ID to get things like visit frequency so retailers and restaurants can figure out uh, more accurately their trade area and things like that. Um, you know, we right now have a panel size of about 25 million devices that we get data from. Uh, that represents about 8% of the population, give or take. Um, but from that panel size, then we're able to use AI to collect that data based on other factors in that, you know, that region, whether it be demographics, whether it be household income, things like that. Then we can then apply and then get a full estimate for that property, for that chain, for that city, that intersection, that plot of land, any physical property. That's how we're using the data, uh, you know, using that sample size, teaching it through machine learning, and then applying it through artificial intelligence to come up with estimates for foot traffic for any physical property. When I was in college, uh, one of the elective courses you would take is computer programming. And it became very obvious early on that it's, it's a lot of work to make yep. even a basic computer program work. And this is 1999, <laughs> so you're still doing if-then statements. And to, to the uninitiated, this looks like a miracle. 
it, it shows up and it gives you all the information you need, but there's a lot of human hours that went into making a computer program work. From a coding perspective, from making software better to mm -hmm. making better hardware, where does AI come in and how does that uh, improve your job? Basically, I'm an edge technology programmer. I've been programming technology that's kind of on the front edge of you know, augmented reality, virtual reality, data analytics, all that sort of stuff for a lot of years. Um, I've used ChatGPT. Actually, I was prompted to do this just recently. A friend of mine who's another programmer, and he said, tell it to program some functions. So I'm like, OK. And then I went to ChatGPT, and I told it to program and see how it would come back to me. Um, and I would say about 7 out of 10 of them were write a function that'll do this. It did that. Two to three out of ten, it came back, and what it gave me was complete garbage. And like, not even something that I would say was a starting point to what I'd asked it to do. So I will say it's definitely good in terms of like, it can understand what you're asking it to do. It can return usable code a lot of the time. I wouldn't say it could replace a programmer today. And ultimately, the other important factor is you still need a programmer to be able to tell it what you want. There's got to be a programmer that actually can understand what you want it to, what you want the program to do. So I don't think we're quite at an inflection point of it's going to start replacing people. Um, it's, it, it could potentially replace somebody really low level who would normally you know, be like an assistant to a senior programmer or a senior programmer is assigning some you know, write this function, write that function out to other folks. Um, because they could at least then analyze the code and say, yeah, this is good, this is not good, just like you would if you were working with a junior programmer. Before we go into the discussion of AI and the employment market, um, all of a sudden, not only is everybody using ChatGPT more or less as a, as a parlor trick just to have fun with it, <laughs> but there is also a lot of proposals as to what you can do with it, and some of it may be hokum, some is just a, a way to, to get your name out there. But let's go back a couple of years, IBM and Watson. And that was an artificial intelligence program, and, <laughs> and memorably, Watson was a contestant on Jeopardy! And it won. And so you know, where, where is Watson in the evolution of artificial intelligence? And will we see more gimmicks like having uh, an artificial intelligence app competing on a game show? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly we'll see a lot more gimmicks like that. And it, it is exciting, right, to see these things have capabilities that we just didn't imagine a computer could have years ago. Um, and I think Watson helped develop a lot of the core technologies that are being used today, but it was, it was fundamentally different. It wasn't uh, as free form as the kinds of things that ChatGPT can do. Almost any function within the restaurant space is, has some sort of technology solution. Some aren't AI, some aren't machine learning, but one area we're seeing is order taking. You know, that's something that frees up capacity for people to do other jobs. And we're starting to see you know, drive-through orders using machine learning and AI eventually to take those orders. And one of the gimmicks is now celebrity voices with that. You know, so we're already starting to see <laughs> that evidence uh, that people are going to use this to try to you know, build acceptance of that. I, I think we're going to see a lot more gimmicks behind this too. And some of these things that make it more productive uh, and take care of the mundane tasks in our, our day-to-day -day life. I think that's okay. We're, we talk about restaurants, but uh, your company also works in the retail side of things as well. Yeah. And could this be disruptive in the brick-and-mortar retail space, or could this potentially be a lifeline in a space that's uh, kind of taken its lumps over the last couple of years? I, I see it as the latter. I think that absolutely physical retail, I mean, 
you know, there's been a lot of discussion that physical retail is dead, but I think ultimately what it comes down to is just boring physical retail is dead. It's just, you know, a case where if you've got a good experience and can integrate AI uh, in the right way, you can make the customer in-store experience a lot better. We're already starting to see it, you know, with some of the, you know, virtual trying rooms, and, you know, they use various elements of AI with that. Um, but we're starting to see that applied in ways that make the experience more enjoyable. The idea that you can go into a store, you may not have that specific product, but they can still get that to you by the next day. Uh, being able to manage inventory systems, that's been one of the big challenges in the retail space is managing online versus in-store inventory platforms. And so the AI can certainly help out on that front as well. So I think there's a lot of ways that that can improve the overall experience and ultimately make the experience a lot better. But I think it can also help the online experience too. So the whole, you know, however consumers want to do it, uh, you know, buy products and purchase products, I think there's a solution in AI for, for each one of those uh, channels. Rebecca, 27 year, uh, 28 years ago actually now, uh, at the unveiling of Windows 95. The Rolling Stones are playing, Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer are dancing like nobody's watching <laughs> uh, in, in, in ill-fitting khaki pants. <laughs> and there's just a great deal of hype about a new product rollout. And it's very interesting today to see the tech sector look at AI, a place in which they're all trying to plant their flag and make money, and say, society is not ready for this. Is this the first time that uh, there has been a new product rollout by the technology industry that also comes with a dire warning? No, it's certainly not the first time. <laughs> there have been many, many cases like this in history. And I think, you know, just like when we think about the promise of AI having, you know, some real meat behind it and some hype, I think some of the dire predictions have, you know, some real legitimate concerns behind them and also some hyperbole. I just want to talk about you know, some other things that might be less visible to consumers, but where AI is making a real impact. So for instance, one area is in drug discovery. People are using yeah. AI to help find new drugs and pharmaceuticals um, faster and more affordably than previously. And as we all know, the whole drug development process is extremely expensive, and so rare diseases or diseases that are primarily affecting underserved communities are much less likely to get affordable pharmaceuticals. And the hope is that with these AI tools, that's going to become possible. Or, you know, another area where we think about, you know, just dealing with vast quantities of data. You could imagine saying, I want to design a microbial community that's going to break down plastics and help us with a variety of different environmental concerns. And we try out a few, and they work for maybe a day, and then all the microbes just die out. It's not sustainable. So I want to figure out, as a scientist, well, what's the right sort of um, mixture of microbes that's going to break down plastics, not go out of control, but also be go going to live more than a day? There's maybe billions or trillions of different combinations I could try. I can't possibly experiment on all of them. But what I can do is I can use AI to build a model that helps me understand what kinds of ingredients are likely to make a community more effective than others. And so I think, you know, we are going to have AI affecting all of our lives in ways that are, you know, visible, like augmented reality in retail and restaurants and, and also ways that are, are invisible. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. 
Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now let's talk about some of the ethical considerations of artificial intelligence. Uh, last week on the Noon Business Hour, there was a segment about people using ChatGPT to uh, write wedding toasts. Now, I've written a couple in my time, and uh, I enjoy doing them, but it seems like, it, and they always like write themselves. Uh, you, you refer to the groom as your partner in crime and just kind of go on from there. But um, as, as someone who is a writer, at heart, I enjoy the creative process. A lot of other people, that's terrifying to them. The prospect of public speaking, writing something to be delivered in public is one of their biggest fears. And they turn to AI. Where, do, where, where does the ethical component come in where you say, what I'm doing right now, this is the product of artificial intelligence and not my own work? Yeah, that's a, a tough question, and academia certainly is trying to grapple with this as we think about you know, what constitutes plagiarism among our students and what doesn't. I think that you know, when you're thinking about writing a wedding toast and you want to use this as a tool to help spur your creativity or help you fine-tune a turn of phrase, then you know, that's totally fine. If you're handing in graded work or you're claiming something that is, is your own original work, then I think you, know, you need to ask your instructor what the expectations and guidelines are. Uh, instructors are going to have to change the way that they write prompts for students. And publishing houses are going to have to rethink what their, their standards are. See, now I remember a couple years ago, actually, I want to say about two years ago, I remember reading a blog post. It was on one of the VR sure. news sites. I don't remember which one. But you read the whole thing. And I was like, OK, a decent article. And at the end, it said, FYI, this entire article was written by AI. Now, this was pre-ChatGPT, yeah, exactly. so I'm not sure what wrote it. Yeah. But it was an entire article, read like a good article, and it was written, it, it tagged itself, written 100% by AI. Yeah. So there's people who are doing it. You know, when you get to the ethical consideration, though, of how, like, at what point are you responsible for telling people? Because I remember seeing the thing on 60 Minutes, like I'm sure a lot of people did, of, you know, he, he gave the tag at the end, which was for the first time, this was 100% human content. Because now we're getting to the point where you have to start thinking about that. Do people need to say, hey, 50% of this article was written by AI? And I guess where is that line going to be drawn? I'm not the right person no. to answer that no. question, I'll be honest. And even but then, it's something to there's, consider. There's, that goes back into history because on, on TV news broadcasts in the 50, and into the 80s, you would have an announcer saying at the very end, portions of this program are mechanically reproduced, that it was not 100% live, it was on film or videotape, there was a minicam unit out in the field uh, producing content and bringing it back to the station. So there's, there is uh, uh, some, some prologue there. On the, on the ethical side of things, sooner or later, an AI program is going to develop sentience. Um, and you know what, what happens in the, in the term, to, to, to reference the movie Short Circuit, uh, what happens <laughs> if number five is in fact alive? <laughs> and, and you do have an AI program that refuses to follow your commands or decides that it's doing things on its own. In that movie, what happens if it refuses to turn itself off? And, and that's a, a philosophical and a technological area we may hit before too long. You know, honestly, I think um, I've got some real ethical concerns about the state of AI, but they don't really involve sentience at this point. I think that's pretty far off. 
I think things that are really happening in the world today include things like authoritarian regimes using AI-based tools for mass surveillance of populations in order to control populations. I think AI tools that are used by social media to maximize user engagement um, can promote things that are, for instance, really unhealthy for young girls to be watching or have even been used to promote you know, genocide in some countries, uh, all in the name of profit. And I think you know, things like deep fakes are a real concern. Um, I think that these AI tools are going to be very useful for spreading misinformation and um, influencing elections. And so I have some very deep concerns about the enormous capabilities of AI, but almost all of them relate to bad human actors misusing <laughs> extremely powerful tools and much less about sentient AIs at this point. Oh, I was gonna say, I wanna add to that a little bit. So I've, I've done, in my time working as an engineer, software and technology, I've done penetration testing, cybersecurity work. And social engineering is an insanely powerful tool. It is, it is almost frightening how easy it is sometimes to convince people of things and essentially get access to passwords or networks or locations that you shouldn't have access to. You throw AI into that mix and teach AI how to do some of that, it becomes a very, very powerful tool that is very easy for someone who is frankly not that skilled to wield. Because now you're giving a really powerful key, you know, essentially a master key to a whole lot of locks to somebody who really might not have the ethical background to use it the right way. But I'm not worried about sentience yet. At, at the end of the day, computers will generally do what you ask them to do. But yeah, people misusing it, absolutely that's a concern. Yeah, I mean, I think for instance with ChatGPT, which is extremely impressive, what it's basically doing is it's saying, given a sequence of words, what's the most likely next word? So if I say, hello, my name is Indigo Montoya, you would probably guess that the <laughs> yes, next word is Yes, you killed my father be... for <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Right, so you can make a very accurate prediction based on some training mm -hmm. data. But it doesn't mean that you really understand you know, what the context is, what the meaning is, or anything like that. It's just making really good predictions based on probabilities. And that's a very far cry from sentience. Well, if, if you create a movie quotes bot, then uh, <laughs> I, I'm out of business. <laughs> I have nothing to talk about. Uh, you, you mentioned something very interesting about how uh, some fast food restaurants are using celebrity voices or yeah. are contemplating using celebrity voices as an order taker and yeah. now you get into an interesting legal area yeah and that is you know what happens if we have a chain fast food restaurant and they can take your your chicken tenders order in the style of Sean Connery uh, does the estate of Sean Connery come <laughs> after you well, I mean, they'll have ChatGDP write up a legal brief on it and, and figure it all out. Uh, but it, it does. I mean, that's another ethical area that certainly uh, I think is going to be addressed. Uh, where are the, the boundaries when you can do these uh, type of things? Um, you know, it's, it's still very much the Wild West when it comes to this stuff. Um, so I think that's going to be an interesting development over the years. I'm going to give the last word to artificial intelligence. Uh, we do have a... Uh, a list of questions generated by ChatGPT. <laughs> and uh, for all three, I'm going to end with, how do you see AI evolving over the next decade? And what new opportunities or challenges do you anticipate around ethical and societal impacts? We talked about some of that just now. But where, where is AI in 10 years from now, 2033? Wow, 10 years. Um... So I'm going to start with one of the things that I've heard people talk about specifically with, with regards to immersive technology, but it, it would apply just as well to AR, which is that 
you can do a lot less in one year than you think and a lot more in 10 than you think. <laughs> I think on an individual level, we will be interacting with AI on a regular basis, daily basis, um, almost all day, every day. Uh, it'll, uh, you'll effectively, you know, do you guys remember, do you guys remember, have, there was a TV commercial when Siri came out with Martin Scorsese basically talking to Siri as his personal assistant in a cab. Do you guys remember that? Yes, yeah. yeah. I think that will be a much more realistic reality 10 years from now with how we interact with AI. Uh, you'll have your own personal assistant that is attuned to your behaviors, your actions, all of that. I think it'll be there. In terms of the ethical considerations, when you're dealing with immersive technology, privacy is a huge concern. Um, because you have access to camera feeds that are always on and always recognizing your space. So you start to think of things like that. The developers, myself included, who were working in that space, unlike kind of in the early 90s when the web was forming, we weren't thinking about privacy back then. We were thinking, what can you use this for? Immersive technology, we started thinking about privacy, security. All of those were a forethought. Um, and so you're developing it with that in your consciousness. Same thing with AI, I hope, will happen. People are developing it, thinking about how are people going to misuse this? How can we protect against that? How are people, you know, what is this going to affect in terms of privacy? How can we protect against that? What's it going to do in terms of security? How do we protect against that? I hope the developers, as they're building new tools, take that into consideration from the start. At the end of the day, I don't think it does much more than most of the people who work in the technology knew was capable. I think it made a lot more people aware of what's capable. Yeah is pretty much what it did. But it's definitely going to be fed with a lot more data, and there's going to be a lot more uses for it over the next 10 years. Uh, and I think, yeah, it, it'll be something that we interact with on a daily basis. Rebecca, AI in 10 years. Yeah. So let me start with a quick story. When I was in grad school, I went to the hospital to work with a collaborator. And they had this sign in the elevator, and it said, if you sign up for our brain study, we'll give you a CD with all your brain data. So, of, of course, I signed up for this. <laughs> and it was a lot of fun. The first uh, CD, though, was five cents. And then you had to sign up for it. That's right. Yes, it was that long ago. <laughs> but, um, but they called me a couple weeks later, and they're like, actually, you need to get a clinical scan because we found a big tumor when we looked at your data. Oh, wow. And so I did, and uh, they, they, they found the tumor, they removed it, there's a functioning neural network in there somewhere, and everything turned out good. But I think, you know, when I think about this process, every single element of that is going to be changed by AI. The way neuroscientists design their experiments, the way that we collect that imaging data, the way that the computers take that data and make an image that a radiologist can view the way that the radiologist interacts with that image and tries to determine where there's tumors or lesions, the way surgeons assess the risk of surgery and whether it's the right call or not, um, and the way that they do surgery using robotics and assistive devices, and what kinds of therapeutics and, and pharmaceuticals are prescribed afterwards. I mean, it's just going to transform every single aspect of that process, and those are the kinds of changes that I think we can expect in the next 10 years. In addition oh, to that, just real quick, yeah. um, when we talk about GPT, one of the kind of dirty little secrets is that in order to train ChatGPT, estimates are that it costs about $5, um, $5 million, uh, took half a trillion words to train, and basically used 500 um, metric tons of CO2, the equivalent of like 600 plane trips from London to New York. Just a huge environmental carbon cost associated with training these systems. And so one of the frontiers is, I think, also going to be taking these tools and making them way more efficient so that we can use them without destroying the earth in the process. 
So we've had the technology response, the academia response. I think the consumer response is going to be the most interesting. And Matt made a good point about, you know, ChatGDP has been around, but this is the first time consumers have really seen it. And maybe that makes consumers more accepting. The other point you made is that hardware really hasn't caught up to the you know, AI part of that, too. Ten years, that's going to be the case. And that's you know, some of the things, the Jetsons-type things that we started to see may start to come into reality. I still think it's going to take longer to, to get there. Uh, but you know, as hardware does start to catch up and consumers become more accepting, then all of a sudden adoption becomes uh, you know, very interesting in what you know, different things, outside of just computer programs and things like that, what happens in the real world and some of the more sci-fi things that we do happen. In ten years, I mean, that's reality. Um, like everything, it probably starts on the marketing front, you know, having things being advertised to you in different stores like that. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see the other things just to make our day, everyday lives maybe more efficient, maybe more enjoyable. Those are kind of things that I think, you know, with hardware and stuff like that, that, you know, AI is the backbone for. It'll be very interesting to see what happens there. But I think you're right. Daily interaction with AI, 10 years, that's, that, I think that's a, a very accurate prediction. R.J. Hadavi, Head of Analytical Research at Placer AI in Chicago. Rebecca Willett, University of Chicago Professor of Statistics and Computer Science. And Matt Wren, tech expert and founder of VRAR in Chicago. Thank you very much for joining us today. I'm Rob Hart, News Radio 105.9 WBBM. Thanks for listening to this episode of Courier Pigeon. A reminder, the entirety of this forum can be viewed on our YouTube channel at WBBM AM. And don't forget, we're taking a short break with new episodes of Courier Pigeon returning June 1st. Until then, be sure to follow us on our socials at WBBM Podcasts and WBBM News Radio so you don't miss any updates. WBBM Courier Pigeon is an original podcast production. This episode was produced, written, and edited by Jim Hankey and Lizzie Baumgartner as well as moderated by Rob Hart. Thanks for listening to WBBM Courier Pigeon. I'm Mai Martinez. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.